0: Not through the news, not through our Western mindset, but we need to see that Jesus is leading his church. We need to see what he's about, what he's doing. And we need to get behind that. This is amazing, isn't it? I, I shared with you even about Heidi Baker and the miracles that are happening. See, as we pray, as we pray, even some places where nobody can get to, emons are having visions of Jesus. Why? Because we pray, because we're partnering with the Lord. There's such massive revival in India, in China people coming to the Lord and, and, and seeing a transformation in these nations. It's so powerful. What I want to talk to you today about is more of that kingdom increase. If you look in Matthew chapter 4 uh, in verse 12, it talks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says this, now when Jesus heard in verse 12 that John had put, been put in prison, he departed Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it may be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the Z- land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And Je- this is what Jesus proclaimed in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven Is at hand. So Jesus began his ministry in a region called Galilee, the northern part of Palestine, just north of Jerusalem. And and, and this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 is saying that that Jesus' ministry, beginning in Galilee, where he would go around and preach the gospel and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom with signs and wonders, was a, was a, a fulfillment of the prophecy that he would begin in that region of Zebulon and Naphtali, which were tribes of Israel. In the region, what's called here in uh, I, uh, Isaiah 9 or, or Matthew 15, 4, 4.15, the Galilee of the Gentiles. And so this is prophesying that Jesus would begin his ministry there, and from that place, his ministry would spread all throughout Jerusalem and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And this is what it's describing his ministry as, that a great light has broken into darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, broke in... To darkness. How did that? What's going on here in his preaching, in his ministry? What's going on here? In verse seventeen, he says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Now, if you're a good American, when you read verse seventeen, this is what you do, huh? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. If you're a good American, you have no idea what this is saying. I remember being a new Christian and uh, a new believer, and I said to Jesus, I have no idea what you're saying. You're Jewish. Those of you who didn't know Jesus is Jewish, I am not. I have no idea what you're saying. And I don't just mean like right here in verse 17, I just mean like his parables, you know, like unshrunken cloths and things like that. You're like, I have no idea what you're saying. And I just remember saying, Lord, just, just say, you need to teach me here. See, Jesus is proclaiming the good news, but for many of us, when we hear these words, we don't even know what it is. So how can you and I seek first the kingdom if you don't even know what it is? How can we repent? Okay, I don't even know what that is. But <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now many of us know, real simple, because we've been around here for a while, repent, change. He's just saying, it's time to change. It's time to change because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's the kingdom? What's the kingdom? The kingdom, the simple way to understand what the kingdom is, by the way, I'm going to be a little academic today, uh, maybe a refresher course for some of you, and, and just again, just down, God downloading his operating system, his perspective. But the kingdom of God, simply, the best way to remember this is the king's domain, the king's domain, King. Dumb. Remember when, when God created the world and he said to Adam and Eve, hey, let's give them dominion, right? King dumb dominion, that the king's domain is God's rule or God's reign. It's the king's domain. Just like when God said give human beings dominion or rulership over the world, when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, same thing, In other gospels called the kingdom of God, in this gospel, the kingdom of heaven, it's referring to God's rule or God's reign. And so when Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, literally what he's saying is that God's kingdom, his rule, is here. It's breaking in. In fact, some translations translate this as the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. In in the Greek, when it says, is at hand, it's not present tense actually in the Greek. It doesn't say, in the Greek, it's not like the kingdom is coming, or it will come. It's actually what in the Greek is called the perfect tense, meaning it has happened. It has happened. And the word is at hand is the word for draw near. Judas drew near to Jesus to kiss him when he betrayed him. Draw near. I draw near to Mike to tell him something, whisper in his ear. It's something of closeness. What Jesus is describing here is like, for example, if we were at a surprise party, we're all here, let's say we're all in a house, going to have a surprise party, and I said to you, I look out the window and I go, oh, he's coming, he's coming, get down. That's the kind of urgency that Jesus is using right here. He's saying, the king's on the road. It has drawn near. It has broken in. So in Jesus' proclamation of the gospel, he's saying, Shh, get ready, he's, he's coming. You know what I'm saying? It's time to change. There's an urgency here. We, we've got to change. Because the king, his rule, God's dominion is breaking in, is arriving. Or if you will, or I uh, to, to be more true to the Greek again, has arrived, has broken in, has drawn near. Which is why some—that's why the translators will say "is at hand" because that concept of it's here, it's right here. <clears throat> now, again, a lot of us, especially Western American people, we think to ourselves, "Like, what, what, why, why do you need the kingdom to come if God is sovereign?" You know, I thought like God is in control of everything. Like, you know, everything that happens is because of God, right? I mean, he's just sovereign. Well, he is sovereign, but that concept of God's sovereignty is actually very pagan. You've got to understand that God created the world, and in Genesis 1, he says everything is good. He looked out and said, it's perfect. It's just the way that God intended everything to be. There was no death. And he gave Adam and Eve uh, life and he put them in that garden. And he said to them, you you tend that garden. You partner with me in creating and co-labor with me in bringing forth my kingdom. And he said to Adam and Eve, you have dominion, rulership over this world, stewards of his kingdom. And yet the enemy came to Adam and Eve and lied to them and deceived them into rebelling against God. And through our rebellion, our refusal to obey the king's commands because we were encouraged by this enemy, this deceiver. We believed his lies. Adam and Eve broke away from God's rule. God broke away from his dominion. And in our rebellion, death came into this world. All sickness and all disease and death and all the brokenness and injustice of this world is because of human beings rebelling against God because we believed a lie. And that was true then and it continues to be true now. See, God didn't lose His sovereignty. God didn't create evil. He's not the source of evil. He didn't make anyone sin. He's the sovereign God. But when human beings sin, God didn't cease being sovereign. But is His will being done on earth? No. The enemy gets his will done through people who are in rebellion against God. It's as if if God is the owner and we're the managers of the franchise. And yet if an employee came in and began to manipulate us as the managers, began to use coercion and deception and manipulate us and control us and get us to do his will... He would be able to control the managers. God's still the owner. But those who have been given stewardship or management have been deceived by the enemy. The enemy has no, the devil has no legitimate authority, has no real authority, but he manipulates us who have been given dominion over this world and through us and through our words and our our actions, our disobedience, is able to get His will done on earth. And that's where that brokenness and that injustice comes in. And see, so a Jewish person understood this. A Jewish person who understood the Bible, understood that God is absolutely sovereign, He is the judge, He will come and make everything right but people are in rebellion against God. And a Jewish person from a biblical perspective understood this tension that we live in. And so a, a a person, a Jewish person in the time of Jesus, what they were longing for was the kingdom to come. The rule or the reign of God to break into this world and make everything right. They the, the kingdom of God was God's rule and, it was, it went, and they believed that when God's kingdom would come to earth, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what they were longing for. That when God's kingdom would come, His will would be done. See, this is what they expected from the prophecies in the Old Testament, the promises, very clear, very, many, many of them that we can't go over today. Jewish longing and expectation at the time of Jesus was that God would send his king, the Messiah or Christ. Messiah or Christ means anointed one, which is just simply a way of saying king. And that God's king would come and bring the rule of God. That this Messiah would usher in God's rule by executing God's judgment on the wicked. He would remove everything that is not of God's kingdom. He would remove everything that is uh, wickedness. He would judge all unrighteousness, and he would establish righteousness and justice in the world. For a Jewish person, that meant, especially in the time of Jesus, they're going to kick out the Romans, destroy all the wicked nations, and we who are Israel, the people of God, the holy people of God, will be established. God will reestablish the land of Israel, and he'll make everything right. And literally, they would say that God will restore all things that he would restore everything to that pre-fall condition, like it was in Eden, where there's no death or dying. This is the way that they would describe the kingdom, like in Isaiah chapter 11, that that, that, that a child would lead animals, that a lion and a lamb would lay down together, describing such peace where war has ceased among people and where even in the natural order of things, things that we think are the circle of life, would be restored so that even animals that we think it's normal for them to kill each other, they would no longer kill each other because they weren't created to do so. A complete restoration of every system, not just human systems like government and economics, but actually all created order being restored completely. By that, that's what the Bible means by the, the, the reign of the Messiah being a reign of shalom or peace or wholeness, or a reign of justice and righteousness. Everything becoming right Everything being in order the way that God intended it, this is what they were longing for. And so when Jesus is, 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 uh, is, 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 is preaching the gospel and saying the kingdom has come, he's saying that that kingdom, that rule of God, is breaking in. And of course, in his preaching, he would talk about how good the Father is, and he would demonstrate the reality of the kingdom in what? in healings and in miracles and in delivering people from demons why because those were prophecies of the kingdom and isaiah 35 that this messiah would come and lame would walk and the eyes of blind would see and deaf would hear that the time of the kingdom would be the time where the spirit is poured out upon god's people and that the holy spirit would turn everything make everything right both physically see they believe that this judgment against the wicked and this Kingdom breaking in would restore the world and would usher in where people, the saints of God, would be resurrected physically. See, this whole idea, this whole western idea that, well, you accept Jesus and then when you die you get to go to heaven, is absolutely not biblical. The kingdom is that God will restore this world. And God will restore that body. The hope of every Israelite who believed the word, not, not all of them believe this, but the hope of every Israelite who was longing for the kingdom was a longing that God's kingdom would break into this world that he made and that he would fulfill every promise he ever made to restore this world. That this world would be restored. This physical earth would be restored. That there would be a new heaven and earth in this world. And that these bodies would be resurrected. No more sickness, no more dying, no more pain. And that this Messiah would be the one, this Christ would be the one to usher it in. So when Jesus is preaching the gospel, this is what he's preaching. This is what they're longing for. What he didn't, what it didn't look like though, is he didn't come forcing himself. He didn't come apparently as a political military leader, forcing his reign, kicking people out. Rather, he came preaching this gospel and drawing near to people to heal them and to deliver them and inviting them into relationship with God. And so even John the Baptist, while he's in prison, says to his disciples, hey, I want you to go find out. Go, go, go ask Jesus uh, if he's really the Messiah. Why? Why would John the Baptist be confused? Because he wasn't doing all that he thought the Messiah would do kicking butts and taking names, you know, that kind of thing, right? And so John the Baptist sends these messengers, these messengers come to Jesus and say, hey, we're just, hey, I'm not asking this, John the Baptist asking this, I'm just the messenger, but uh, hey, are, 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 are you the Messiah? Are, are you the one? And Jesus says, you know, just go ahead and tell John what you see. Hang out with me a little bit and tell him what you see. Tell him the blind see and the deaf hear." And the lame walk, and tell him the gospels preached to the poor. What was Jesus doing? He was referencing Isaiah thirty-five, Isaiah sixty-one. He's referencing the prophecies about Messiah and saying, one. And then he ends with this: He says, "And also tell John, blessed is he who's not offended at me. Why? Because Jesus brought the kingdom." The first thing that we've got to understand about the kingdom is it has come. It has arrived. It has drawn near. It is here and now. Why? Because the king has come. And he is the one through whom God rules. Think about it. Jesus, but he became man, right? And now when Jesus came to earth, God has one man who does his will. When Jesus came to earth, God has one man on earth. does his will he never sinned he completely obeyed the father amen he has one man How, how did the kingdom break in one man who obeyed and when he died for our sin defeating death and rose from the grave the bible says he's the firstborn from the dead he's the first resurrected one So, so that what? Remember when Jesus said it this way. He said, he said if a seed remains alive, I mean, it just, just remains this way, it's never going to produce fruit. But if a seed dies and falls into the ground, what did Jesus say? It produces much fruit. The whole idea for Jesus was that he would die, he would rise, and that he would reproduce himself in the lives of others. And so the kingdom... Is here and now. And the kingdom is going to come in full. Every promise God ever made. Will be fulfilled. Every prophecy in the Old Testament. And all the promises in the New Testament. Will be fulfilled. The Jewish expectation and longing. For Jesus to come and remove all wickedness. And establish righteousness. It will be fulfilled. And so the promise. Doesn't change. But why was John ofe- or potentially offended? Why were the Pharisees or why were some Jews thrown off by what Jesus did? Because the promise didn't change. When He came, He brought the kingdom. The power of His resurrection. Healings and miracles and the good news to the poor. Bringing transformation to people's lives. He brought the kingdom. It's here. And, and He is coming in full. The promise is the same, but the process was different than what people thought. The promise is the same, but the process is different. And Jesus was letting John the Baptist know. See, John the Baptist thought, dude, I'm getting out of prison pretty quick. Make this thing happen. But what happened to John? He died, didn't he? The forerunner to Jesus' ministry, beheaded by some selfish adulteress. Such a foolish, such a dumb thing that John the Baptist would die for that. So easy for us to become offended when we don't see the kingdom come so quickly or we don't see things come in full. So easy for us to become offended, isn't it? So easy for John to become offended. And yet what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one, I'm the one. And so the kingdom is here And the kingdom is coming in full. But what they didn't understand, what even the disciples didn't understand, his own follower, Judas, became offended, disillusioned at this talk of dying and rising so much that Judas betrayed Jesus for money. All of his disciples fled because they couldn't understand their hero, the man, Jesus, who could kick death out is now going to die on a Roman cross. They couldn't get it, so they ran. They denied him. He fled until he rose from the grave and then explained to them the kingdom. That the promise is still true, but the process is different. That Jesus came first for mercy, second for judgment. That the whole reason why he came, to die, so that he would remove what is hindering us from God, our sin. Our sin. So he would make the way so that people could be reconciled to God and so their sin could be forgiven, and so that his kingdom could operate in them, that he could establish his rule once again in them, in people, and get his will done on earth through people. This has always been his desire that he would, that he would rule through his people, that he would have his, that, that his people would exercise his dominion on the earth, that through people, His kingdom would come. Because if He would have just come the first time for judgment, if the King would have come, all right, you guys are all out of here, and established His kingdom, none of us would be here. He came first for mercy so that we could be saved, so that we could be reconciled to God. That's His desire, amen? He wills that no one would perish, the Bible says multiple times. That's his desire. No one. How many people does God want to go to heaven? Everyone. Does that mean everyone's going to accept? No. But he did promise this. All nations. People from all nations will know him. All people groups, all tribal groups will know him. And so not only is the kingdom here and now, and it's coming, going to come in full, but it's increasing. Look at Isaiah um. Nine let me show you in Isaiah nine, one of the most important concepts in understanding the kingdom. and to be honest, many Jewish people missed this. You can see in the prophecies in the Old Testament that there would be a two-stage process of his kingdom coming. You can see it in the prophecies, but they mix them together, and many, even today, many Christian Leaders in the church today read the New Testament or the Old Testament and think, well, his kingdom came once, and uh, then it left, and it'll come again sometime when Jesus comes back. And they don't understand that his kingdom has come. It wasn't like Jesus came, and then after three years he died, he rose again, and he, he left. He poured out his spirit. He gave us his spirit. He's alive. He's leading his church. His spirit is here. His kingdom has not left. And many, many, many scriptures you cannot understand if you don't understand that the kingdom is here, now. It's going to come in full. Number three, it's increasing. See, because it says here in Isaiah 9... Verse, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the, and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the la- land of the shadow of death, upon them a light shined. We just read that in Matthew chapter 4. Isaiah 9 was fulfilled when Jesus... Began his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. It says right there in verse 2. And what happened when he began his ministry? What happened? The king came. And therefore when the king came, his kingdom broke in and light broke into darkness. This is the beginning. This is the D-Day, right? World War II, D-Day. When the allied forces break into the beach on Normandy. It took time for those allied forces to take back control of mainland Europe to push back the forces of, uh, of the Nazi Germany, to rescue people who were in concentration camps, to bring restoration and, and repair to, to the land of mainland Europe, like France and Germany and things like that. It took time, but D-Day we mark as the victory, the inbreaking. And in the same way, Jesus' entry into the world was the inbreaking of light into darkness. His kingdom breaking in, it's the beachhead, His death and resurrection, the beginning. And so when He began His ministry, listen. Verse 6, we're familiar with this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We quote that at Christmas all the time. Why? Because it's talking about Jesus, the Word who became flesh, God who became man, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the King of God's kingdom. God gives Jesus the leadership of His government. It was upon His shoulders. And Isaiah 9.1 and 9.2 says that when He began His ministry, that kingdom began to break in, that light began to break in. And listen to what it says in verse 7. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom... To order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 7. From that time forward. What time? From that time forward. From that time. What time? The time that light broke into darkness. The beginning of Jesus' ministry was the beginning of the increase of His kingdom. God had one man on the earth doing His will. One man. But it wasn't going to stop there, was it? See, the parables of Jesus describe this in Matthew 13. The kingdom is like a seed that goes into to the ground and bears fruit. Or an even better one in Matthew 13. The kingdom is like leaven. Leaven that gets worked into a batch of dough until it spreads through the whole dough. What was Jesus describing? He wasn't saying the kingdom is something other than what they thought. No, the kingdom is absolutely the rule of God, where God's will will be done on earth, and he will restore all things. But it comes like a seed. It comes like leaven. Other stories he tells, he says, the kingdom is like a king who's inviting people to his son's wedding. The kingdom comes as an invitation, as a seed, as leaven. And so the kingdom, like a little piece of leaven or yeast, it's small, it's hidden, it seems insignificant. It's just one man. One man. Until that leaven gets worked into the whole dough, what does yeast do? It gets worked into the whole dough until it affects everything in that dough. And that dough now changes. Everything changes for that dough. That is exactly what he's doing on the earth right now. The kingdom is increasing. How is it increasing? Every time a person says yes to Jesus and surrenders to his lordship, they come into the kingdom and God's kingdom increases because you and I said yes to him. Every act of obedience, every yes, in our spirit to God, every choice you and I make for holiness, every time we worship God on earth as is in heaven, when we believe Him, even though we can't see it, His kingdom breaks in on earth as is in heaven because we do His will. When we do His will, when we come to Jesus, His kingdom breaks in because His righteousness breaks into our hearts. He's not the only one who's righteous anymore, is He? When you said yes to the Lord, his spirit came into you. You became righteous and what's true of Jesus is now true of you. And he's leading you by his spirit. And so now God has men and women on the earth who do his will. That Jesus living through us, God extending his kingdom by Jesus' leadership through us. And I want you to understand something, that right now, 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the grave, there is more of his kingdom on earth than there was 2,000 years ago. Good? Hopefully that won't happen again. that That was a nice illustration of increase. Like a feedback loop. Never stop. No limit to the increase. Did you hear that? No limit to the increase. No limit to his peace, his shalom, his restoration breaking into the world. His gospel going to all nations, those nations being discipled, those nations becoming blessed, healing, restoration, transformation happening in those nations. How does that happen? One person at a time. Of the increase of his government peace, there will be no end. From that time forth, he's establishing his kingdom, his justice, his righteousness, on the earth his increase and so right now 2000 years after his resurrection there is more increase of his glory now than ever before there is more of his kingdom now than ever before there are more people on this earth now Who have said yes to God than ever before. There are more nations now. More people groups now. That have said yes to God than ever before. There are more people now. Moving in the fullness of his kingdom. I I was reading stories in in India. of, of, Of ladies. Ladies. Older ladies who are Dalits. Which is the lowest caste system. Who have raised more than seven people from the dead. We don't even have Jesus raising that many people in the New Testament. Not to say he didn't. You have, you have Jesus saying, you will do greater works. He who believes in me will do greater works in Matthew 14. And we are seeing greater works. We are seeing cities and nations transformed by the power of the gospel as men and women. Broken, wicked, sinful people. Delivered from demons. Forgiven of sin. Healed and restored. His gospel is advancing. Amen? His kingdom is advancing. His glory is rising on the earth. So much that this is what the promise says in in multiple times in the Old Testament. That His glory will fill the earth like the oceans fill the sea. Habakkuk chapter 2. His glory will fill the earth like the oceans fill the sea. Do you know how much water is in the oceans? 1.3 billion? This is like an estimate. I mean, come on. Most of our planet is filled with water, 70-some percent, right? Most of our planet is filled with water. The depths of the oceans, they're higher than the mountains. There's so much water, it's like, well, we estimate it at 1.3 billion cubic kilometers. They say 343 billion billion. It's like a number like trillion something. I mean, it's like you can't even fathom what it is, and yet God chose to use the sea as the metaphor for His glory filling the earth. Saying what? There's no limit. There's no end of this increase. There's no limit. Now that that includes when He returns, restores the world, brings the resurrection, and we reign with Him and co-labor with Him for all eternity. The Bible says for ages we'll reign with Him. We We can't even understand that. But even in this life right now, His kingdom is increasing. Increasing. As nations come to know Him. Increasing through these kind of ministries that I've been telling you about. Increasing through what God is doing here, even on the earth, right here in our lives. And so the kingdom is here and now. The kingdom is increasing. The kingdom is coming in full. His rule, His reign. Scott, uh, Lucas gave me a word a couple weeks ago that I didn't, I didn't sense was relevant at the time, but I felt was spot on for our church. He was sharing uh, 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 something a friend of his used to say. And let me kind of just transfer the, the metaphor for, for to me for, for what we're, we're doing here. He said that, you know, you feel small, you feel insignificant, or maybe you fall down, you fail. Something hard's going on in your life. And the Lord kind of through, through Scott, kind of a bit of a gentle rebuke, say, whoa 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 whoa, if, 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 you, if you fall down, if you fail, dude, you're still a part of the winning team. If you have an insignificant part, it's really not insignificant amen, if you feel like your part is small or insignificant, you're a part of a winning team. So, so we've got to understand that Jesus is leading his church that his kingdom is increasing see i will not disconnect my life from what god has doing what god has been doing for 2000 years plus the story of this world is the story of god's redemptive work his kingdom another way you could say it is god's redemptive work on the earth i will not disconnect my life from what god has been doing We're a part of a huge story. We're just extras in this massive movie. We're a a little color in a massive mural painting that he's painting. That makes you super significant, super important. Like I said to you earlier, if we didn't pray for the 1040 window, those people wouldn't get visions. Because he's extending his kingdom through us. His kingdom increases when you say yes to God, when you pray in the name of Jesus, because His Spirit is in you. He has given you His power, His righteousness, and His authority that in His name you would extend His kingdom. And He has given us a position, a calling, to partner with Him in His mission and vision to make disciples of all nations, nothing less. That's what you're a part of. So, Dave, Dave I, feel, I feel like I'm failing. You've got to understand, he's leading you too. He's leading his church and he's leading you. He's working in you to will and to do. He will finish what he started in the church and he will finish what he started in you. He's a good leader. I love what it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He is absolutely the word zeal, jealous, passionately committed, You say, well, God's sovereign. Amen. He's going to get this thing done. Nobody can stop him. No one can change his mind. He will do this, and he will judge, and he will redeem. But he is also good, and he is faithful. He's made promises. Every promise will be fulfilled. He is absolutely passionately committed to you, full of jealous love and a burning desire for you, for his church to be completely sanctified as his bride, and for all nations to be discipled and blessed. He's so committed to it, the Bible says he does not get weary or tired or lose vision until he establishes that justice on the earth. He is set, absolutely patient. You say, but I don't know what my part is. I got this such a small part. It's okay, because you're on the winning team. It's not about you. Does it make sense? It's not about you. Praise God! You have a calling. You have a part to play. But listen, you say, "But I'm only pastoring," you know, uh, or I'm not pastoring necessarily. I was going to say, "I'm only discipling this one person." I- I'm only parenting. I don't know. I-, I don't know who I am. I'm only parenting these two kids. Only. That's how the kingdom grows. Oh, oh, oh but we're just this little church in Glendora. Yeah. I will not disconnect myself from what God is doing globally. We're not one church. We're part of His church. Do you realize that what He's doing is revival? We're living in the midst of the greatest revival right now. What we do is connected. Your prayers are connected. When I lay hands on somebody and they're healed, do you realize that's happening? Millions of people every year healed and delivered because God's kingdom breaking in. Do you realize that tens of millions coming to Jesus? Your prayers matter because they're in the name of Jesus. Your obedience matters. You sharing the gospel with that person. You showing Jesus to that person. Being a light in darkness matters. Does that make sense? You discipling your son or your daughter or being a mother or a father as a mentor to someone who doesn't know the Lord or who's being raised up in the Lord. That's how that kingdom increases. Amen? But your calling, it doesn't make any sense outside of that. Your purpose, your gifting, your destiny doesn't make sense outside of that. Your identity doesn't make sense outside of that. This is what the Lord is doing to lift us up. Something of self has to die, but our hope rises because it's only in understanding the kingdom in what He is doing that you understand your identity and destiny. Now think about that back again. Let's end with this. Seek first the kingdom. All these things shall be added unto you. Do we want the promise without the invitation. How can you seek it first if you don't know what it is? What is He doing on the earth? What does that mean, seek first? I just challenge you this way. Are you consumed? Are you obsessed with what I'm talking about today? Is your life revolving around Christ and what He's doing? How much do you think about Jesus, His kingdom, and what God's doing on the earth? How much are you obsessed or concerned with Him getting His inheritance, the nations? How much are you obsessed and asking, Well, what are you doing on the earth? Or how much are you concerned about your little world, your worries, your money, your problems? How much is your world revolving around you? And how much is revolving around His kingdom? Because He said, all these things shall be added unto you. If you make His kingdom your priority, your obsession your concern. He promises to take care, to bless, to provide. But anything less is not worthy of Him, is it? You realize that nothing can come into the kingdom except for you. You can't bring anything in. So if you've come into the kingdom, you're His. He bought you with His blood. You can't bring money in. No flesh can come in. Nothing of self can come in the kingdom. It all must die. He said you must lose it all. You must die to self. It's all his. It's not yours. All of your money, all of your time, all of your life, all of your relationships. Too many Christians. It's pick and choose Christianity. We think, we, we come to Jesus. We ask him, please do this to me. Please do this to me. Please do this to me. But how often are we asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now he wants to bless. He loves you. But how often are we concerned about what he's doing? How often is it about your worries and concerns and your money, your life? How often are we picking and choosing and deciding and we take Jesus' commands, not as our Lord, but as nice suggestions? How often are we really coming as as a community to really hear what it means to follow him and lose my life? Or do I just want some nice advice for my life? It's not your life anymore. He bought you with his blood and he owns you. If you came into the kingdom, you didn't come in. But if you came into the kingdom, nothing came with you. And he is jealous for all of your heart. He wants this and nothing less. He deserves the best, the first, the all. Nothing less. So this says, seek first the kingdom. It's here. It's now. He's ruling he wants His kingdom established in you, through you. He wants it to increase. He wants His glory to rise on the earth as you love Him and obey Him and love people and go to the least and the lost and the poor and the broken and make disciples of nations. That's it. If we're not living for that, what are we living for? If we're not seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness, what else are we doing? You guys could stand. As I was uh, listening, and just a couple things came to mind. Uh, one, uh, I think sometimes we hear, you know, let's make let's make our life centered in the kingdom, and we think, well, Dave's a pastor. That's easy. He gets paid to do that, right?